afternoon. You're listening to Austin Monitor Radio on KOOP Hornsby Austin 91.7 FM. Radio for people, not for profit. We are streaming online at koop.org. I'm your host and reporter for the Austin Monitor, Jesse Devenins. And just as a reminder, more information about the stories we discussed today can be found at austinmonitor.com. In Austin, as in much of the world, the environment is a hot topic, and Central Texas is no different. However, Austin is unique, and discussing the environment holds particular interest as our city resides in a unique transition zone within the state where east meets west, and the result is a distinct set of environments from the hill country to the blackland prairie. Um, Each ecosystem is like I said, unique, and it's affected in different ways by the people who live in them. And so today we're going to explore the policy concerns and projects that intersect with Austin's environment. And to help us do that, we have Luke Metzger, the Executive Director for Environment Texas, here with us today. Thanks so much for coming on the show today, Luke. Thanks, Jesse. Good to be on. Yeah, let's start things off with you telling us a little bit about um, the organization Environment Texas and what you do here in Austin. Great. Well, Environment Texas is a nonprofit grassroots advocate for clean air, clean water, and open spaces. Um, some of the listeners uh, might have met one of our uh, folks coming by their door and uh, talked to them. You know, right now working uh, to save the bees um, and working to uh, you know what bees are of course facing unprecedented rates of um, deaths uh, in part uh, due to climate change as well as a class of bee killing pesticides called neonicotinoids. And so we've been working to to ban those chemicals. We were able to get the city of Austin to ban their use on city property a year ago. And just this last summer, I got the uh, county, uh, Travis County, to ban their use on county property. So uh, making some progress on that. But we work on a, a range of issues. Um, you know, we work, uh, we have an office in Houston that uh, focuses on particularly on air quality and clean energy issues. Um, this, uh, this past November, we helped uh, win a uh, $3.5 billion um, ba- bond measure on the Houston ballot to invest in public transportation. Um, and um, so work on a variety of issues um, and, uh, you know, uh, really focus on uh, doing good research, uh, presenting the facts to people in power, um, and um, also then building kind of the grassroots movement necessary to um, overcome the opposition we routinely see from from powerful polluters. So it sounds like there's kind of two branches to this. There's the policy change initiatives, and then there's a, an educational component. Yeah. So you know we, we recognize that um, you know uh, I think what was it, Frederick Douglass that said that you know power concedes nothing you know without a demand you know that you know you uh, the only way we win on these issues is if we kind of bring people together and. Um, uh, demand action, and so um, you know we in every campaign, you know we start by asking nicely, um, but it's usually not that easy because there are you know big polluters spend millions of dollars in campaign Has it contributions. Ever been that easy? Uh, no, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> Occasionally, you know, actually, yes. Um, for example, we um, uh, on back on the bees issue, uh-huh. uh, we learned we did an open records request and learned that the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department um, was uh, spraying these uh, bee killing pesticides on four of their state parks. And so I emailed the uh, executive director, uh, Carter Smith, and um, asked him, could they please stop their use? And he replied, yes, we'll do that. Um, so that's wow. uh, uh, the exception to the rule or, or, you know, that happens very infrequently. But uh, sometimes, yeah, if you just ask nicely and have, you know, have a, make a strong case, uh, it will work. But uh, most of the time, you know, there, there is a powerful interest that, um, you know, uh, there's a reason, you know, 
you know, things are happening the way they are. Um, and so you have to kind of bring together coalitions, bring together, um, you know, grassroots energy, you have to get the issues out on the media um, and put the pressure on the politicians to, to make the change. So speaking of things are the way they are before they're not, how is Austin doing in terms of developing environmentally sustainable policies? Yeah, well, Austin, I think, is known, rightly so, for being a leader on environmental protection. You know, um, you know, back in the 90s, adopting, um, you know, one of the nation's strongest clean water standards at the Save Our Springs Ordinance, um, being one of the first to adopt uh, energy-efficient green building standards, um, helping lead the movement to press automakers to start producing electric cars um, to our, you know, renewable energy investments. Um, so we have a lot to be proud of. Um, you know, today, uh, more of uh, more than half of our electricity comes from clean, renewable sources like wind and solar. We're on target to get to 65% um, in the next seven years. Um, so doing great on, on clean energy um, and uh the, on the climate perspective, though, you know, where we're really falling behind is when it comes to transportation. You know, we know that uh, transportation uh, represents about 40% of the greenhouse gas emissions in Travis County. And nationally, it's, you know, it's the number one source of emissions. Um, so, um, uh, and unfortunately, uh, we're too reliant on uh, cars, you know, here in the city and, and don't provide enough op- alternatives for people to uh, have a you know climate you know friendly form of transportation. Yeah, I'm I'm curious about that because I too heard that you know vehicles are one of the primary polluters. I think actually Austin Energy is the second most, if I'm not mistaken, on that. But um, Austin, as a result, has hovered on the threshold of violating federal re- regulations for air quality right. in the summertime for the last six years. Mm-hmm. Um, so. What are some solutions that could feasibly be implemented to help us, A, avoid violating these regulations, and B, you know, just be more sustainable? Sure. Well, I think public transit is the the first big thing that, you know, Austin desperately needs to um, step up its investment in. And, you know, the Project Connect proposal um, that's coming together will likely, you know, lead to a uh, ballot measure this November for Austin voters to, you know, support, you know, uh, uh, once in a generation, you know, transformational investment uh, in high capacity transit. So, uh, hopefully light rail, but uh, maybe also some bus rapid transit um, to um, you know provide that you know uh, real pu- public transportation infrastructure that we need. Um, Which level of the proposal are you guys supporting? Because there's light rail, there's bus rapid transit, there's the above ground, there's the below ground. Yeah, um, we haven't kind of made a specific endorsement, but you know I think uh, it's clear that there's a appetite for going big uh, among uh, Austin voters and it's Texas. It's yeah, it's, it's Texas, um, <laughs> and we've just waited so long, you know, and had so many setbacks. You know, I moved here in 2000. You know, when um, you know we famously rejected a um, comprehensive light rail uh, system, and that's just so frustrating to me that you know mm. we could have had a crazy, you know major light years. rail system by now. It would have been built and operating um so we can't screw this up you know this fall and so i think there's you know um voters are um it's going to be a very progressive electorate and i think you know we can um you know make a major investment in light rail um i know there's a lot of interest in yeah building a kind of a downtown underground you know um, station um 
and to help you know facilitate the efficiency and have a true subway at least in kind of downtown um, you know rail out to the airport um, along some of the major corridors including Guadalupe um, so yeah you know we think um, time is right to go big and you know support a real aggressive plan another one of the bigger initiatives that the city is working towards is also its net zero effort which um, originally passed in 2015 and it's being updated, but essentially the council resolved to reduce uh, community-wide greenhouse gases to net zero by 2050. Mm-hmm. And um, have you seen the requisite effort necessary to achieve this goal so far? Uh, no. Um, okay. And, <laughs> you know, it, it is a... Um, I think more complicated, you know, in some ways than, um, you know, reducing emissions on city property, which, you know, the city has been doing a great job of and, you know, the utility, you know, moving towards, you know, 100% carbon free electricity um, and, uh, you know, the city buildings now being already on, you know, um, fully on renewable energy through the Green Choice program for several years now. So those things were... um, not easy, but, you know, comparatively simpler than, you know, uh, dealing with uh, all the other emissions in the community, including, you know, individual reliance on, on, um, uh, internal combustion engine vehicles. Um, mm-hmm. and so it's, it's harder, um, but we have to do it. You know, we have to find a way to, um, you know, build, you know, communities that uh, are easier to walk around and to ride a bike, you know, or take a bus to, um, when you need to have a car, you know, it's a, you know, fully electric vehicle, uh, perhaps one, you know, you share with, you know, others. Um, and, um, uh, and then we have to, you know, get off of uh, natural gas as well, uh, fracked gas, um, which still power, you know, a lot of our heat, a lot of our homes, um, and so electrify buildings, um, you know. So there's, there's there's a lot we need to do, um, and um, you know, I, I think we have a, a good plan in place, but um, we need to kind of step up those efforts. Are there any specific policies that you could point to that would really kind of, you know, catapult us in the right direction? Yeah, I mean, I think um, more city rebates for electric vehicles, you know, to complement the state rebate. You know, there's a, currently a $2,500 rebate available from the state, uh, plus a, you know, tax credit federally of up to $7,500. You know, I think a local you know, rebate could help, um, you know, get people to, you know, switch to electric vehicles. Um, you know, I, I know we're going to talk about the land development code. You know, I think, you know, making a more climate friendly the land development code would be a, as a great policy as well. Um, prohibiting new um, homes uh, from being connected to gas lines. We should just be electrifying, you know, any new building um, and providing, again, rebates to uh, get people to get off of gas and switch over mm-hmm. to electric um, to, to just name a few. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, you're right. You're, I would be remiss if we didn't talk about this land development code. It, this is the Austin Monitor Radio, and that is the topic du jour. Yes. Um, so for anybody who's listening who has not been following every minutia of this process, it passed on second reading, and um, we're now proceeding to third reading here in March. Um, so yeah, let's talk about this. Like um, One of the sticky topics is obviously the density that's being proposed, and how is that going to affect you know the environment here in austin introducing more concrete more humanity into a smaller footprint yeah i mean i think we have to look at the land development code through the lens of climate change you know where we see that um you know um 
our water supply, for example, you know, I think there's been some studies that show Lake Travis, you know, might go empty three times in the next century. Um, and, um, where, you know, we still have, you know, uh, the fear and threat of wildfires, you know, um, and, you know, extreme heat, you know, the national climate assessment, uh, estimates that, you know, um, we'll have an additional 30 to 60 days of, uh, over a hundred degrees, uh, temperature, um, you know, by the end of the century, if we don't That's cut months. emissions. Yeah, Actual exactly. Months. And we're already, I think last year had like 50, you know, days over a hundred, you know, it used to be in the 20th century, we would just have over the average about a dozen days over a hundred years. Uh, since the, uh, 2000, it's averaged about 33 wow. last year it was 55. So it's just going up and up and up and that's miserable. Um, and no both wonder are, I'm hot yeah, exactly. So I think it's, you know, it's certainly a, just a quality of life issue, you know, mm-hmm. being able to go outside and go swimming and, you know, take your kids to the playground that, you know, we're going to lose some, of, we're losing that already. Uh, and then there's also just the, you know, we're, we're talking about life and death, you know, senior citizens mm-hmm. without, you know, uh, air conditioning or construction workers, farm workers, you know, who will be exposed to extreme heat and, you know, could be, you know, hurt or, or killed from that. So it's a, it's clearly a major crisis uh, and we have to do everything we can to decarbonize. And that includes, you know, changing the way our, our community lives um, and, and, and is built. Um, and so, you know, we did a study back in 2017, just looking at all the scientific literature about land development patterns and what's the most environmental uh, way to build. And, you know, it was pretty clear that having kind of compact connected development as opposed to sprawl um, was the better way for uh, certainly our climate, but also air quality. Um, and even on issues like water quality and flooding, you know, from a regional perspective, having that kind of density, having that compact connected development is clearly better than, you know, having you know, homes spread out, you know, across the hill country into the Blackland prairies and having people have to drive an hour, you know, each way to, uh, to get to work and, or to go shopping, et cetera. Can we dive into that a little bit? Because I mean, anybody who's been on Mopac or 35 recently knows that that just kills souls and everything. It's not good for no. people or environment. Right. But this idea of increased density, um, improving things like flooding and air quality, because anecdotally, you often hear cities are dirtier, there's more air pollution, um, increased concrete reduces the pervious cover and mm-hmm. contributes to flooding. So right. you're saying the opposite. Can you explain? Yeah. So uh, yeah, basically, when you have kind of compact development, um, you ultimately have um, less uh, impervious cover because you're just having you know less ultimately region wide less concrete. You also have um, you know people forget that even lawns when they're kind of packed down um, can serve as kind of impervious cover, um, and so even kind of suburban lawns aren't very pervious, aren't absorbing kind of stormwater, um, and so you know environment. Mentally, uh, actually having that compact development is better from, you know, uh, you know, regionally from a water quality perspective, from stormwater, um, from urban heat island effect, from, from air pollution. Um, you know, the studies show that for sure. And uh, certainly, though, at the same time, there can be localized uh, impacts um, of um, of water pollution and uh, flooding as, uh, associated with having dense, dense development. And so um, to be able to uh, address that, um, you know, what, what a lot of cities are doing is looking to kind of nature-based infrastructure like uh, rain gardens, green roofs, um, bioswales, uh, rainwater harvesting to kind of capture that rainwater on site, use it as a uh, resource to, you know, irrigate landscaping, et cetera, and thereby prevent some of the 
uh, increased runoff risk you would have from the density. And what about air quality? Yeah, air quality, you know, again, you know, if you have fewer people in their cars, you know. Um, well, there's the caveat, right? You have to be not in your car. We have to have that public transport component. Right, right. Certainly public transit as well. But even, you know, just being able to uh, live in a community where you can mm. walk to the grocery store and get a few items, sure. um, yeah, uh, even without transit, you know, uh, certainly transit is critical to that. But, you know, just giving people options to, um, so you don't have to every time get in your car to go anywhere, mm. which you often do in our kind of the way our neighborhoods are set up, um, you know, that that has a big impact. Um. Are there going to be certain areas of town that you think will be more affected environmentally by this increase in density that's proposed in the Land Development Code? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think a lot of the density kind of um, is rightly kind of steered towards the central city. Downtown, of course, is going to get even more dense, you know, rightly so. Um, and, you know, I think there's still kind of a... Um, we still have third reading to come, and there's I think there's just a lot still on the table about where the density is going to go. Is it going to go on the corridors? Um, you know, it seems like a lot of it will. Um, so the big, you know, um, you know, big streets like Lamar and Airport, et cetera. Um, and then also, will, you know, how much will we get of this missing middle uh, housing? So I guess I meant more from like an environmental sensitivity standpoint. Like, are there certain transition zone areas that are proposed and areas that you've identified as more sensitive to? you know, increased development, uh, flooding, for example, in Southeast Austin? Well, we certainly think that, um, you know, we need to be, um, take extra care to, um, you know, limit development in areas that are, um, have had historic problems with flooding, you know, like Southeast Austin. And, um, so yeah, I think that's, you know, that is a, a great example, you know, with all the Onion Creek flooding, um, that just, you know, happens over and over again. Um, you know, we have to be particularly sensitive, um, around, um, you know, the impacts of development in those areas. Um, so I just kind of want to st- get out of the granular and back up to this idea of climate change, you know, I, I recently saw a statistic. In fact, I think it was yesterday. The first two months of this winter were the second warmest on record in 122 years, uh, which is as long as they've been keeping records. Right. So exactly. we don't know before that. Sure. But um, in conjunction with that, I also read that there is a phenomenon called um, mismatching. Hmm. And that's when species or uh, flora appear before their time. Um, seasonally. And so, you know, the blue bonnets are coming early. There's some butterflies. And, um, you know, so the the example would be, you know, pollinators are available to birds or birds are migrating north before the insects are out for them to eat. And I'm just wondering how this is going to affect the overall ecosystem. You know, here in central Texas, what if bats are coming back and there's no insects? What happens to our Congress Street Bridge viewings? Right. Yeah. Uh, and what happens to those animals if they have nothing to yeah. eat? Yeah. No, I mean, I think, yeah, that's a real serious concern. And, th- and those are, you know, I think some of the impacts that have led scientists to predict that, you know, we could lose as much of 25% of the world's species due to climate change. Um, and uh, so I, I think that's just, again, you know, reminds us the urgency 
of reducing emissions as quickly um, and as as much as possible, um, and um, and then also just taking extra care to you know preserve habitat um, in the in the area to make sure that wildlife do have places to go. Um, so, for example, um, you know Hayes County right now mm-hmm. is looking at having a major bond um, this fall to preserve open space in Hayes County, which of course is you know one of the most rapidly growing uh, places in the country. Um, and so that's a big opportunity to, you know, set aside land to make sure there is, you know, our places for the bats and the birds and, uh, you know, butterflies to go. Um, and, um, and then really at a statewide level, you know, we know that, um, as the state is growing so quickly, you know, we need to be preserving more land. And so, uh, back in 2001, the parks department issued a report that found we needed to add about a million acres of state parks in order to keep up with just demand for recreation, um, oh. not even counting, you know, um, the needs of wildlife. Um, and, uh, you know, we're far from that goal. Um, and however, um, this year the parks department is going through the sunset review, which is basically, a um, every state agency, every 12 years has to get audited effectively mm-hmm. by the sunset commission. And, um, so that's an opportunity to kind of raise some of these, uh, issues. Um, and that's a must pass bill. Um, so where a lot of, you know, bills will go nowhere, this bill has to pass or else the agency ceases to exist. And so it's an opportunity to raise these issues. And then on top of that, in 2023, the parks department department will uh, celebrate its centennial so 100 years um, and you know we think that's again another good opportunity to be uh, talking about these issues um, get the attention of you know gubernatorial candidates in the 2022 uh, elections um, and hopefully get the state to finally invest in kind of land conservation in a significant serious way are there any particular habitats or species that are um, under threat in this area yeah um well, yeah, uh, lots of different <laughs> habitats, but you mentioned blackland prairies, you know, for example, you know, he, uh, in uh, east of Austin, those are, you know, particularly uh, vulnerable and, have, um, you know, very little uh, left in the state. Um, so I think, that, you know, those are important. Um, and, you know, the Cross Timbers region, which is the kind of Dallas-Fort Worth area, um, also uh, a lot of those uh, areas being lost. Um, yeah, and so we're, the areas I think were are most sensitive and are uh, of most need of uh, new parks in order to provide access for recreation are around our major cities. Um, so we have a lot of state parks, um, you know, in West Texas, Big Bend, um, and we want to protect even more of those areas as well. But, you know, the, the real priority, I think, needs to be, you know, creating, you know, uh, parks, protecting habitat near Austin, near Dallas, near Houston. Um, right now, for example, just on a recreation uh, perspective, you often have to, like, book a campsite months in advance, mm-hmm. you know, if you hope yeah. to go camping. That's ridiculous. You know, you should be able to just, like, you know, on a whim, you know, get in the car and your friends go out and go camping. Um, but we just don't have enough, you know, parkland to accommodate that. Um, and that just, I think, you know, really... Um, hurts you know both recreation but just our access to nature and appreciation of the great outdoors and you know families being able to you know share those you know um, experiences with their children um, we're, we're at risk of losing that but on the city side is there anything that can be done to help conserve um you know these habitats for example i hear a lot about dark skies ordinances uh-huh. um how do those contribute to helping the animals 
Yeah, well, that's a great question in terms of how it impacts the animals. Um, I've mostly have heard about you know dark sky, skies in terms of you know our ability to view the night sky, you know, for which Texas is so famous, the you know, stars at night, big and bright. Um, but they're not, you know, in our cities because you can't see them. Um, we have a nice orange halo. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think there's you know a lot of things in terms of. Um, uh, shading of you know street lights you know to direct the light downwards as opposed to illuminating the sky which is both wasteful you know in terms of a energy efficiency perspective but also just you know, obscures the night sky and you know i think um, limits our ability to appreciate you know the vastness of the universe um, and that's i think a, a real cost um, so that's you know one thing we can do um, and um uh, you know, and I think there's, yeah, just a set of things like that to just make sure that we're using light um, or kind of artificial light uh, for its purpose and not just, you know, sending it out into the universe. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about briefly one ma- massive project that's happening in the Hill Country, the Kinder Morgan Permian Highway Pipeline. Yeah. Um, this project has been I hate to say coming down the pipeline, but I'm going to do it <laughs> for a while. And um it's been fought every step of the way by municipalities, by landowners. Um, in fact, uh, I don't even know at last count how many lawsuits it had against it. But um, it's slowly making its way through courts and getting approvals. So uh, how is this going to affect not only the Hill Country, but Austin? Yeah. Well, the Kinder Morgan Pipeline is uh, part of a um, enormous, unprecedented uh, build-out of oil and gas infrastructure happening throughout the state. So uh, numerous pipelines, numerous new um, liquid nat- liquefied natural gas or LNG terminals to export that natural gas uh, to other countries, um, uh, you know, new uh, deep uh, water harbors to be able to bring in um, you know, very large uh, crude oil uh, carriers. Um, Congress lifted the ban on uh, exports of crude oil a few years ago, and so now um, we're just building a ton of infrastructure designed to just take all that oil and gas from the West Texas, the Permian Basin, and ship it around the world. Um, and uh, the University of Texas uh, study came out just a few weeks ago and, and looked at the climate impacts of all of that new infrastructure, including the Kinder Morgan Pipeline, and found out that it's going to equal – Uh, something like 130 coal-fired power plants um, in terms of the climate impact of what we're doing here. Um, And so that's a disaster, you know, in terms of from a climate perspective that, you know, again, that just has has a big impact on Austin's uh, climate and environment. Um, And then, you know, there's also, of course, a lot of very local concerns about the risk of the pipeline um, having a spill or a leak um, and, uh, contaminating the Edwards Aquifer, um, you know, um, you know, harming you know wildlife habitat as you know it's as they kind of seize land, you know, uh, to to build it, um, as well as public safety concerns. You know, there was just last week um, there was a pipeline rupture in Corpus Christi um, that led to a shelter in place, you know, for the neighborhood nearby, um, and so I think there's a lot of legitimate concerns about you know. Um, you know, uh, yeah, some sort of accident, you know, leading to, you know, um, loss of life or, or injury for people that live nearby the pipeline. I've heard concerns about it affecting water quality for yeah. us. Is that a, is that a valid concern? Absolutely. Uh, you know, pipelines um, break and leak, um, you know, all the time. You know, we've seen uh, examples like that of the, the Enbridge pipeline um, in, up in um, I think Minnesota, kind of, or um, 
uh, leaking into the Kalamazoo River, um, and um, maybe that's Minnesota. And uh, so, yeah, so there's there's numerous examples. There was also, I think, an Exxon pipeline in Arkansas that um, uh, ruptured uh, a few years ago and kind of oil kind of seeped into a neighborhood there. And so and of course, the Edwards Aquifer, you know, is uh, particularly vulnerable um, and, you know, with a, uh, it's a karst aquifer. And, you know, there's a lot of holes in the ground going straight down into uh, a, a drinking water supply for, you know, a million you know, plus people in central Texas. And so, yeah, if there's a pipeline rupture and the oil gets down in there um you know we could see more uh, boil water noses like uh, that we saw recently or, or worse mm-hmm. so just briefly before we wrap up um there's so many things that affect the environment major changes to policy and projects um a couple of which we've touched on today but overall what's your prognosis for us here in the city of austin going forward is there are we going to remain environmentally sensitive in our policy making do you think and will it be successful yeah, and I'm definitely optimistic about Austin's leadership on these fronts. You know, I think um, we're updating our um, uh, electricity generation plan right now. And, uh, you know, I'm hopeful that um, we'll take additional steps to just make sure we move as quickly to 100% renewables as we can. Um, you know, I think, you know, with the land development code rewrite, um, I think we'll, um, we'll hopefully um, you know, create more walkable, bikeable communities. You know, I think the Project Connect vote this fall, you know, we can get real public transit. Um, there's some effort alongside with the land development code rewrite to strengthen water quality standards. Um, so, yeah, I'm pretty optimistic about what Austin's doing. Now we just got to get the rest of the state and country and world <laughs> to, to kind of rise up with us. But I think that leadership role that we play is not only helpful for our own environment, but bringing other cities along. Um, you know, for example, on renewables, just this last week, Waco and Smithville uh, signed, you know, uh, new renewable energy contracts to power their operations. Um, and, you know, I think Austin, you know, um, through our early leadership on that, you know, played a big role in, you know, getting other cities to kind of follow our lead. Well, unfortunately, that's all the time we have to discuss this today. But thank you so much again, Luke Metzger, for coming in and speaking with me. Happy to do it. Thanks, Jesse. If any of you listeners are still curious or you'd like to refresh your memory, you can listen to a recording of this interview at austinmonitor.com. Now it's time for Tracy Schultz, who's on next with What's News at 2.30.